Good morning and welcome to Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and as we begin this New Year journey together, it is the right time for us to look around and notice that the world is indeed dark and broken in some places. How do we counter that? We do it by following our resurrected Christ who fills us with hope, joy, peace, and love so that we can help to build his kingdom on this earth. So come and join us as we seek to answer our call of the risen Christ. Come on in. Our first scripture is from Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 10. Thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is devious above all else. It is perverse. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart to give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 6, verses 17 through 26. That is 6, 17 through 26. Listen for the word of the Lord. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. They had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases, and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all in the crowd were trying to touch him, for power came from him and healed all of them. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when you Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you and defame you on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. 
for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold, her early leaves a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, so Eden sinks, sank to grief. So dawn goes down today, say it with me, nothing gold can stay. Poem by Robert Frost. I think I learned it when I was in middle school, had to. The general understanding of that poem is the changing nature, in this case, of nature. It does not stay in one place or time. Nothing gold can stay. Also in middle school, I read a book called The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. Y'all up there, youthies? Y'all read The Outsiders as a part of class? Anybody? Yep, some of you. Okay. Um, Essie Hinton was 15 when she started writing, published The Outsiders when she was 16, and was credited for the early teen focus uh, literary uh, teen genre. And if you don't remember The Outsiders, I'll give you a little bit of quickie. It is set in the late 60s in Oklahoma, and not the serfs and the jets, but rather you have two competing gangs of boys, young men in high school. One are the socias, short for socials, because they are the popular, they are the wealthy, they have um, all of the money on the good side of town. Then you have the greasers, and they're the greasers. They are on the bad part of town. Families are broken, uh, many of them in, uh, in a house in the bad part of town that are just trying to stay away from being arrested and find their way out. Uh, I remember the 1983 movie that was kind of a who's who for that time with all of the boy pack in uh, for the greasers. So, you know, help me remember, uh, Patrick Swayze, Tom Cruise, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Matt Dillon, C. Thomas Howell, Ralph Macchio, the Karate Kid. Uh, it was an amazing collection. Uh, young Diane Lane played Cherry, who was kind of the go-between. She was a soch, but she loved Pony Boy. C. Thomas Howell's character, Pony Boy, was the one that you thought could break the cycle because he was smart. He could write, he loved to read, he loved literature, he loved poetry. And as it turns out, Johnny, played by Ralph Macchio and Pony Boy were friends and they were the youngest in the group. The oldest, Patrick Swayze's character, was trying to protect them from a life that they had all had to that point, helping them to try 
to break that cycle. This poem, Nothing Gold Can Stay, is featured in the poem, uh, in, in the story, The Outsiders. Um, one, one, so there's inevitable conflict. There is um, um, a fight between Johnny and Ponyboy and two, some of the Soches, and Johnny kills one of the Soches in self-defense, as we would look at that. So Ponyboy and Johnny go on the run. They go to a, a church to hide away until things cool down. But while they are there, they inadvertently start a fire in the church of which when they had gone to a gas station to get some supplies, some children were there. Johnny goes into the church knowing he was fully on fire in a heroic manner and rescued those children and pulled them out. While he was in there, the roof comes down. He sustains injuries, broken back, and winds up dying. But towards the end, he and Ponyboy had shared um, books, they had shared stories, and they had shared this poem. So Johnny writes Ponyboy a letter that Ponyboy gets after Johnny dies and says, stay golden, Ponyboy, stay golden. Part of what this means to us is that for those two young boys, they were still innocents in that cycle of living. The older ones had already been uh, arrested and broken and were outside of the educational system and found no way forward. They were trying to protect Johnny and Pony Boy. Johnny didn't make it. Maybe Pony Boy will. They were losing their innocence. They were becoming something else for nothing gold can stay. Today, Jesus is with his newly called disciples. We're in Luke 6. The night before, Jesus went up the hill and prayed with God, came down the mountain and called his 12 disciples. The very next thing that happens, Jesus comes with this new, newly formed crew. What do they really know about him? Well, he, he called them. They've seen already in the sixth chapter some amazing miracles, some healings, some teachings. There's something to this guy. But they don't quite know what we know now looking back. They're nowhere near the resurrection. They have no idea what is coming as far as the crucifixion resurrection. Right now, Jesus is teaching and healing. And so they say, okay, I've seen enough, I will go. And that is a huge commitment. We talked about that last week, make you fishers of people. And they're starting to fish. So they come down the mountain and Jesus is there and all of the people are closing in on them. Why? Because he's healing all of them. What if you had the power to heal no matter what it was, disease, brokenness, mental, physical, spiritual? Do you think you would have a moment's rest in this world with the world coming for you to touch them and heal them? No. 
And there's a microcosm going on here. The world doesn't yet know Christ. But for all those that do, they're come, people are getting hit. I don't know what's going on. I don't care who's doing what. Something amazing is going on. And Jesus heals every one. Those who were troubled with unclean spirits were healed. They were trying to touch him for the power came out of him and healed all of them. So that's the first section of scripture. Then there's a pivot that is fairly significant. He looked up at his disciples, looked up at his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are hungry. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you when people hate you and exclude you. These are the Beatitudes. Beatitudes is a simple word for blessings. It is not translated as happy, but it means that God is blessing you somehow in that process of what's going on. I am tempted to say that when B. Halegian, our pastoral care coordinator, comes in with attitude, those are the B attitudes. <laughs> but she is too delightful. I have not yet seen a B attitude uh, that was negative because she is wonderful and delightful. This compares to what else? The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. There are eight of those, and we're left off the hook a little bit more on those because the phrasing is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Whew. Okay. <laughs> we're all poor in spirit at some point. That's everybody. But again, there are eight Beatitudes in Matthew, and there are four in Luke. Luke cuts right to the heart of the matter. And this is known as the Sermon on the Plain, not the Plain, the Plain, an even place, a level ground. Christ is on level ground with the disciples and those who were gathered. And he tells them, blessed are you when you are poor. Blessed are you when you are hungry. Blessed are you when you weep. Blessed are you when others hate you because of me. Who, who is you that Jesus is speaking to? Because it's important. Is he talking to the crowd? He is not. As we said earlier, right after he is done healing, he turns to the disciples, lifts his eyes, and looks at them. Makes that eye contact. And he says, blessed are you disciples, when you are poor. Blessed are you when you are hungry. Blessed are you when you weep. Blessed are you when they hate you because of me. This is not a parameter of God loves poor people, God hates rich people. We often get to the point where we play into that, what I think is an unhealthy prosperity gospel that we see. 
If you have things, God loves you and has blessed you. And if you don't have things, God has not blessed you, therefore loves you less. And we say that's foolish. And yet, I know when I've been on mission trips in developing nations that are poor and destitute places, we look at them and we think what? How can you have faith when you have nothing? And they look at us and they say, how can you have faith? You have everything. What is wrong with that theology? It is gauging God's love on what we have. And that, friends, is not who God is. God isn't saying, because you were blessed, because you have things, you were blessed. And those who are poor do not. Rather, Christ is saying to his disciples in a compassionate way, I see you. I see you. Lifted his eyes, looked at them, and saw them. It says it in Scripture that he saw them. How many times do we really feel seen by people in our world? And conversely, how many times do we feel unseen by others in our world? I think it's a lot on both sides. I think the people who stand out to me in faith are the ones who see everybody or seek to see everybody as God and Christ and the Spirit would see them. Seeing through God's eyes is such a challenge and so hard, and yet the more we look, the more we see. How many people do we drive by in a day? How many people do we pass by in a day? How many people are in our office, in our schools, in our churches, in our organizations, in the places that we live, even our own family, that we may say, hey, how's it going? Fine. This morning, Sunday morning, here with the family, what are you going to say after worship? How are you? Great. How are you? Great. You put on the church smile, knowing darn well that everything isn't great, and sometimes things are. But Christ is reacting in a pastoral and compassionate way to these disciples who are literally poor because they have left. Even those that made money and had businesses now have left and they are poor. Earlier in the sixth chapter, they were walking through a grain field and started to eat the grain on the Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh, Jesus defends them and says, leave them alone. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. They can eat which means they are hungry. They will weep the farther they go along. We know they will be martyred. They don't even know yet. They may weep as they leave the things that they have always known in their life, their structures, their families, and this way to follow this preacher, this rabbi. And people probably already are mocking them for making this. You're going where? Peter, James, and John, you're leaving your business, your family business? Zebedee, son, father of James and John, couldn't have liked that, passing the business down to them, fishermen, 
We're leaving. We are leaving. We're following this guy. Come on. Don't be ridiculous. Benefits? Jesus offering benefits? Dental? Is there dental with Jesus' plan? I don't think so. They would have been mocked and already from Jesus' birth, we know that Herod was out to get him. The temple authorities were out to get him because he is a threat to their leadership. So they are hated already just by their association with Christ. And Christ says, I see you, friends, and blessed are you. This to me is a heartwarming way for Christ to remind us that all of the stuff that we go through, all of the brokenness, all of the difficulty, all of the challenge in our life, blessed are we. And that God looks on us and sees us, sees our hardship, sees our suffering, and sees our joy, sees our growth, sees our faith, sees our church, sees the day. Thank you. This is an intimate God who is here with you, friends. You are not alone. The baptismal waters of the Jordan cover you now and forever. And Christ sees you. So how then do you look at your life? Do you throw out these parameters? Well, no, of course you don't. But we have to be careful not to fall into the trap of saying, because I have some things, I am on this level with God or my worthiness is on this place or plane. The circumstances of your life do not matter. If you are wealthy, if you have the job you have always wanted, if you have a wonderful family and are, are healthy, good for you. Do not judge your life and your faith on those circumstances. If you are poor, if you are broken, if you are addicted, if you are in the dark of something and cannot get out, if you are oppressed, if your voice is not heard, if you are kept down, then God bless you. Do not judge your worth and your faith by those circumstances. It is not the circumstances in our lives that dictate who we are. It is what we do in the midst of those circumstances. The poorest of the poor and the most wealthy can proclaim the word of Christ. And this is what we are called to do. So know that you are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. Tomorrow we will celebrate love and all of its manifestations. Know that God loves you. Our single people, God bless you, I love you. I hated being single on Valentine's Day. There's so much pressure. Don't, don't just get rid of all that mess. You are loved by God, by us. You are not alone. Do not feel unworthy because Christ sees you. Christ sees your heart, your light, your joy, your challenges, your struggles and says, come on, I'm with you. I see you and blessed are you. So let's go together. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen.